0: For most of us, the history of U.S. President Abraham Lincoln ends with his assassination, that famous and fateful night of April 14, 1865, at the Ford Theater in Washington, D.C., when he and his wife Mary Todd went to see the play Our American Cousin. It was a popular comedy at the time, and 26-year-old John Wilkes Booth actor, assassin, and confederate sympathizer, who knew the play well, timed the shot of his gun to coincide with an uproar of laughter from the audience, hoping this would help deafen the sound. None of that mattered, of course, since after shooting the president in the back of the head, he leapt from the president's box and landed on stage, breaking his leg before fleeing the theater. The next morning, at 7.22am, the President breathed his last, only six days after General Robert E. Lee surrendered his army at the Appomattox Courthouse, effectively ending the American Civil War. In history class, in the US anyway, this is probably where the chapter on Lincoln stopped and the next one about the Reconstruction Era began. But death didn't stop the history of Lincoln from continuing. In fact, the history surrounding his body, his tomb, and the failed attempt of some Chicago counterfeiters to steal his body are nearly as interesting as the history surrounding his life. We'll be covering all that because it's too interesting not to, but we'll also be exploring what you could argue is the snarkiest tomb in history. I'm referring to the tomb of Roy Bertelli, known as Mr. Accordion. You've probably never heard of Roy Bertelli, but if you've been to see Lincoln's resting place in Springfield, Illinois, I can almost guarantee you've seen his tomb. And if you were lucky enough, you may have even seen him standing on top of it, playing his accordion as loudly as he could, for the singular purpose of annoying you. Today, we uncover the surprisingly compelling, posthumous history of Abraham Lincoln's body and the snarky tomb of Mr. Accordion. I'm your host, Kristen Robine Terpstra, and this is the History Cache. Let's have a look inside. Four days after the death of Abraham Lincoln, his body, placed carefully in a walnut coffin with silver handles, was displayed in the East Room of the White House. Crowded around the fallen president were 600 invited guests, including General Grant, commander of the Union armies during the Civil War, who appeared in full uniform, and Andrew Johnson, Lincoln's vice president, who had become president upon Lincoln's death. Lincoln's wife, Mary Todd, was too heartbroken to attend. Thousands of mourners spilled out beyond the fence surrounding the White House. Around 2 p.m., Lincoln's coffin was carried outside by an honor guard and placed onto a black-draped funeral carriage drawn by six white horses. The carriage rolled down Pennsylvania Avenue to the sounds of the city's church bells as the president was taken to the Capitol Rotunda, where a ceremonial burial service was held. Ceremonial because his body was not laid to rest. Lincoln's body was going on tour. He was placed on a train a luxury steam locomotive that had originally been built so Lincoln could travel around the country after the Civil War. Lincoln hadn't liked the idea of building a luxury train, believing it was an unnecessary expenditure of cost. He kept avoiding appointments to go see it, even after it was finished, but finally agreed to do so. That appointment was set for April 15th, 1865 the day he died. He never set eyes on the train, but his body would be carried on it through 180 cities and towns and seven states between Washington, D.C. and his final resting place in Springfield, Illinois, stopping many times along the way for thousands of mourners to pay their respects. Lincoln's portrait was fastened to the front of the train above the cattle guard, At each stop, his body was taken off the train, placed once again onto a horse-drawn hearse, and led to a public building for viewing. Newspapers reported the stops along the way, and people had to wait upwards of five hours to pass by Lincoln's casket. That's worse than the lines at Disney World, though not by much. When his body finally arrived in Springfield, it would take years for his final burial to take place. In all, his body would be moved 17 times, and his casket opened 5 times. His tomb, as it is today, was not fully completed and reconstructed until September 26, 1901, 36 years after his death. That means he wasn't even buried for the last time in the same century he died in. Each time his coffin was opened, his remains were positively identified. The finalization of the tomb as it stands today in Springfield's Oak Ridge Cemetery took time. Until then, he was kept in temporary vaults, moved every once in a while, and once buried in a shallow grave in a secret spot inside of the same tomb. That's because, in 1876, a group of rather inept counterfeiters tried to steal him. There are several versions of how this all went down. I'm going to go with a description I found on the Secret Service's own website, along with additional information from the Chicago Sun-Times. All sources in the show notes, as always. It all started in Chicago, when earlier in the year of 1876, police arrested counterfeiter Benjamin Boyd. Boyd worked for a small-time crime boss by the name of Big Jim Keneally. Big Jim needed Boyd, as he couldn't find anyone else who was as good at engraving counterfeit plates. With Boyd behind bars, his crime syndicate was suffering financially, so Big Jim decided he needed to hatch a plan. He would, along with two associates named Hughes and Mullen, steal the body of Abraham Lincoln from his tomb in Springfield, place it in a sack, and transport it via a horse-drawn wagon to northern Indiana, where they would hide it in some sand dunes. Then they would use it as leverage to demand his best counterfeiter be released from prison. Big Jim also decided he should probably ask for some sort of ransom, and landed on the sum of $200,000 for the president's body. That's a little over $5 million in today's US dollars. This was not a good plan. Big Jim was a small-time criminal and had never tried pulling off a crime of this type or magnitude. Likewise, his partners Mullen and Hughes had zero grave-robbing experience. But Big Jim thought he hit a lucky break. He'd opened up a saloon in Chicago, and one of his regular customers was a man named Louis Sweggles, who claimed he had plenty of experience robbing graves. Over time, Sweggles had earned Big Jim's trust and agreed to help him with the heist of Lincoln's body. This would give Big Jim another gun and a new, trustworthy, experienced member of his gang. Only it wouldn't, because Sweggles was an informant for the Secret Service. It was no accident he had become a regular at Big Jim's saloon. He was on the hunt for counterfeiters, not presidential grave robbers, but he decided to be flexible. Sweggles tipped off Secret Service operative Patrick Tyrrell, and a plan to catch the presidential grave robbers in the act was hatched. Big Jim and his gang chose the night of November 7th, 1876, because that had been an election day, and they thought people would be preoccupied with election results and less likely to be poking their noses around graveyards. After nightfall, agents and officers surrounded the tomb and waited. Two hours into the stakeout, The gang, along with the informant Sweggles, who they still didn't suspect, entered Oak Ridge Cemetery and made their way to Lincoln's tomb. Once inside, it probably became obvious this was going to be a difficult job. Removing the heavy lid to the marble sarcophagus would be no easy task, nor would removing the coffin, which was between four and five hundred pounds, but the thieves wouldn't have much time to try and figure it all out. According to the Secret Service's website, just as the thieves had managed to move the marble block covering the casket, one of the surrounding officers accidentally fired a shot from their percussion cap pistol. Hearing the shot, the other officers thought the robbers were firing at them, In response, the rest of the officers drew their guns and started shooting into the darkness at unseen targets. In the chaos, the thieves knew they had been discovered and fled. They somehow managed to escape while the confused officers were busy shooting at nothing. Despite their having escaped that night, Mullen and Hughes were apprehended ten days later, and Big Jim was eventually caught sometime after that. Lincoln's coffin, which was obviously in need of better security, was moved out of his sarcophagus. Today, Lincoln's body rests inside of a steel cage ten feet underground covered with concrete. No one else has, so far, been dumb enough to try and steal it. Lincoln's tomb is incredible, and if you're ever near Springfield, it's worth the stop. When you walk inside the huge marble rotunda, it's a special experience. You have to walk through a connecting corridor to get to the burial room. And once inside, you come face to face with a seven-ton block of red marble inscribed with Lincoln's name and the years he lived, 1809 to 1865. Somewhere approximately underneath that lies the body of Abraham Lincoln. Above the marble block inscribed on the black and white marble wall are the words, Now he belongs to the ages. These words were reportedly spoken by Edwin Stanton, the Secretary of War at the time of Lincoln's death. Directly across from him are the final resting places of his wife, Mary Todd, and three of their four sons. When I was driving out west to visit family a few years ago, I stopped on a whim in Springfield because I saw a sign for Lincoln's tomb. It was December and snowy, so there were no other visitors there, just one woman who worked there, sitting at a desk when I first walked in. She smiled, greeted me, and pointed towards the corridor leading to the burial room. I made my way there, surprised to see no one else, even on such a cold winter day and I found myself facing the huge red marble block. And for ten minutes or so, I just stood there, by myself, inside the tomb of Abraham Lincoln, just me and him, with no one else around, in total silence. It was one of the most solemn, historically awesome moments of my life. But while I was on my way to see Lincoln, I walked past another tomb that caught my eye immediately, I couldn't have missed it if I'd wanted to, because the guy who had it constructed wanted it that way. And ever since then, I've wanted to tell his story. Lincoln isn't the only interesting character buried in Oak Ridge Cemetery. And he's nowhere near the snarkiest. That distinction belongs to one Roy Bertelli, whose tomb is a good stone's throw from Lincoln's. His story, one of playful yet cutting vengeance, can be described as delightfully cantankerous. So let's walk a few plots over and explore the tomb and story of Mr. Accordion. Oak Ridge Cemetery in Springfield, Illinois, is a bucolic, peaceful place, even considering most of the people in it are dead. It's 365 acres, or just under 148 hectares, of rolling prairie hills peppered with thousands of oak trees, hardwoods, and conifers. With a million visitors a year, this is the second most visited cemetery in the United States, second only to Arlington National Cemetery. Over 75,000 people are buried here. If you want your remains to be placed in a cemetery after your final curtain call, this seems like an excellent pick. At least that's what local Roy Bertelli thought whenever he wound his way through the picturesque walkways between the tombs and headstones. Roy was born in 1910. It boggles my mind to think of how many changes someone born in 1910 saw over the course of their lifetime. Roy was two years old when the Titanic sank, Five years old when Shackleton was busy getting stuck in the Antarctic ice. He was seven when the U.S. entered World War I. He was 20 before a large civic project went underway in Springfield to provide electricity and water to the city. He was in his 20s when the Great Depression hit. 27 when Amelia Earhart disappeared. He was 31 when the U.S. entered World War II and, like so many others, joined the fight overseas. He was 59 years old when we first walked on the moon. He was 87 the first time we put a rover on Mars. He came into the world when most of America's farmhouses were still living without electricity or running water, and left it with an internet connection and astronauts floating overhead in an international space station. That is incredible. And somewhere in between all that history, Roy Bertelli realized he loved the accordion. He could play the organ, too, and he's said to have known over 5,000 arrangements between the two instruments. He gave lessons for years, Even played in Lawrence Welk's backup band for a time. Born and bred in Springfield, Roy had grown up admiring the famous cemetery of his hometown. He knew he wanted to be buried there, but he also knew the odds of getting himself a plot in the sought-after cemetery of Abraham Lincoln was a nearly impossible dream. At the time, plots had been booked out for years, and the chances of Roy being laid to rest anywhere near Lincoln were dismally remote. But you never fly if you don't try. So one day, Roy decided to go to Oak Ridge and ask if there were any available plots. To his surprise, they said yes. There was one plot available. And it was a small triangle of land perched right at the beginning of the road that leads up to Lincoln's tomb, directly in eyesight of the 16th president's final resting place. Roy was thrilled, and he knew if he wanted this prime real estate, he had to act quickly. So he bought the plot right then and there, and he went home that day a happy man. But... As is so often the case with things that seem too good to be true, this was too good to be true. Roy received a letter in the mail from Oak Ridge Cemetery two weeks later, explaining that the sale of his plot had been a mistake. As Roy was mulling over what to do, another letter arrived. This one was even less pleasant. It was from the cemetery's lawyer informing Roy that the cemetery was going to seize his plot, and if he tried to fight back, they'd take him to court. Turns out, this was a bad move on Oak Ridge's part, because Roy was ready and willing to fight back. He wanted that plot, he had paid for it, and they weren't getting it back, even over his dead body. According to Roy's friend John Austin from the Museum of Funeral Customs via an article by Roadside America, Roy probably would have given Oak Ridge its plot back if they hadn't sent him the rude letter. Roy fought for the plot and won. But winning wasn't enough. He felt he had been disrespected, and he would spend the rest of his life being as annoying as possible to the administration of Oak Ridge Cemetery. First, he had his crypt built above ground so that no one could miss it on their way to the Lincoln Memorial. I can say from my own personal experience, he did a great job of making his tomb conspicuous. Then, behind his tomb, he erected a hefty, elevated tablet On it, there is a giant engraving of an accordion sitting atop some musical notes. Above that, in big letters, reads the name Roy Bertelli. Underneath, also in large lettering, is the epitaph Mr. Accordion. According to Mental Floss, this all cost Roy an estimated $30,000, which is expensive for a grudge. So he didn't wait until he was dead to enjoy it. Most of us will never have the experience of standing on our own graves, but Roy Bertelli sure did. He regularly went to the cemetery, stood atop his own crypt, and played his accordion to the confused amusement of Lincoln's visitors and the annoyed horror of the cemetery's management. When Roy did pass away in 2003 at the age of 93, he paid for the perpetual upkeep of his tomb. I found a few sources that said in a final act of defiance, Roy didn't even have his body buried at Oak Ridge, only his accordions, and instead chose to be buried at Camp Butler Cemetery on the other side of town. Camp Butler is a cemetery run by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, and as a World War II veteran, Roy would have been able to have a plot there if he'd wanted to. I was honestly hoping this was true, because it would be hilarious, but I had to find out for sure. So first, I went to the US Department of Veterans Affairs website for Camp Butler, where you can type in the name of any veteran buried at the cemetery, along with the year they were born and the year they died, in order to locate their grave. There was no record whatsoever for Roy Bertelli. I then used their nationwide gravesite locator, which is updated daily, and still found nothing. So Roy Bertelli is not, according to their records, buried at Camp Butler Cemetery or any other cemetery run by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. But I still had to confirm he was in fact buried at his tomb in Oak Ridge Cemetery. So I called Oak Ridge Cemetery on the phone which I wasn't looking forward to because I've reached a level of introversion where I don't even like calling to order pizza. But it ended up being a great experience. I talked with a polite woman who waited patiently while I explained I was a history podcaster, trying to confirm whether or not Roy Bertelli was buried at Oak Ridge. She told me that yes, Roy Bertelli's ashes were indeed interred at Oak Ridge Cemetery, and she even looked up the date of his interment for me, which was March 27th, 2003. I also got the impression it wasn't the first time she'd been asked that question. So Roy Bertelli, Mr. Accordion, is in fact buried at Oak Ridge Cemetery. And that makes sense. It was a dream of his to be buried there. He fought for his plot, and getting to have your tomb a stone's throw away from and in view of Abraham Lincoln's is a pretty big flex. Not bad for a final curtain call. And so, like Lincoln, like we all will be one day, Roy Bertelli and his accordion now, too, belong to the ages. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed hearing about the history of Abraham Lincoln's tomb, the bumbling group of counterfeiters that tried to steal it, and the hilariously snarky farewell of Roy Bertelli, Mr. Accordion. By the way, huge shout-out to my newest patrons, Baker and William. Thank you so much for your support. You are the awesome sauce history podcasts are made of. I'll be back again in three weeks with more history for you. In the meantime, if you would like to get a hold of me, you can email me at historycashpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram. If you'd like to help support the show, you can check out my Patreon page at patreon.com historycashpodcast. You can also make a one-time donation. You can access the link for that on the website under the support tab. That website is historycashpodcast.podbean.com. Sound effects and background music were licensed through invado elements, theme songs from audio jungle. Stay safe, stay smart, stay curious. And until we meet again, my dear friends, go make some history.